Okay, many, many people, they mistakenly say that faith is, quote, belief without evidence. Now, I think this is a disastrous statement when it comes to the Christian faith, and it's antithetical to true Christianity. If you make this mistake of saying faith is belief without evidence, then you have unintentionally agreed with skeptics that there is no reason to believe in Christ. Think about that. You're saying there's no reason to believe in Jesus. You've given up, perhaps with a smile on your face, thinking that you're you're perhaps you know, representing Christ well here, but in this case, it's a mistake. So what we're going to do in today's uh, live stream, where we deal with, uh, uh, you know, apologetics and theology and all that kind of stuff is we're going to deal with this issue of what is faith from a Christian perspective and what's wrong with saying faith is belief without evidence, uh, because there's a, a big error there. Um, all right. So welcome. Uh, just to get this couple quick things out of the way, um, just make sure the live stream's working. Um, I see you guys there in the chat. Thanks for joining me. It's great to have you here. Um, Pretty much every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Uh, there's a chance this date and time will be changing in the future. I don't know. But at the moment, it's at Tuesdays. And um, you can always check my YouTube page if you want to see when my weekly live stream is. I'll, I'll update my banner if I ever change the live stream time. So it'll be on there. Um, if you guys have questions, if you want to interact with me live in the at the end of this live stream, then what you can do is you can load those questions into the comments section. And my friend AJ is going to be there in the comments um, saving at least some of those questions. I mean, I can't answer every question that comes in. It's just too many come in. Um, we're still trying to learn how to juggle this, how to how to navigate this whole live stream thing on YouTube. Um, but you can put your questions there, and if I can't answer them, I will try. I think it would be good for us, and hopefully, AJ, you're there and you're, you're hearing me now. I think it'd be good for us to limit it to one question per person. So if a person has a question, you know, let them have one. And if you're putting a question and it's meant to be, you know, a question, perhaps you could um, type like the word question in capital letters in your comment on the live stream chat so that it will stand out amongst all the comments and we can know that it's a question. Okay. All right. So that's, that's kind of a few little things to pop out of the way, get, get, get out of the way. Um, and we're going to get into our details now. Um, okay. There's something specific that skeptics say, and I want to first establish this because I know that some people will fight me on every level. <laughs> so I have to kind of build my case. And I actually, I don't mind that. I think that's fine. Um, as long as people are willing to hear me out, I don't mind so much. So this is going to be a video clip I'm going to play for you with a few different skeptics, some who are well-known, some lesser known, and a Christian in the mix. A Christian is in the mix too. And they're all saying the same thing, that faith by definition is believing when there is no evidence or no reason to believe. Catch that. No reason to believe. So watch this clip just to, just to justify that I really am fighting against something here that I think is actually out there. It's a very popular thing, um, a very popular misunderstanding. So here we go. Religion is part of a complex of supernatural beliefs that are founded on lack of evidence and astrology, homeopathy, all sorts of things like that. And it could be said that some of these are harmless. I don't think it's harmless. There is something insidious about training children to believe things for which there's no evidence. And so and uncritical. Well, you said in a speech famously that I think a case can be made that faith is one of the world's great evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, virus but harder to eradicate. I do think that, yes. Uh, because um, what I'm talking about there is faith, where faith means belief in something without evidence. Because if you believe something without evidence, then that justifies anything. Not in the sense of faith as meaning belief in something for which there is no evidence, 
So it's not the same as, as religious faith, which is, which is based upon no evidence at all. Let's try some okay. different definitions, because if you're using one word to mean multiple things, it can be very, yeah. very confusing. Uh, the best um, definition of faith that I've read is belief without evidence. As an atheist, I do not have faith. Faith is the belief in things without evidence. If you had evidence, you wouldn't need faith. And that's what faith is, is, is believing, believing without in proof. something without the proof. What, what? After we know believing that. We it, are, the we proof. Now catch this. I'm going to pause this video for a second. The Christian who's calling into this atheist program called the Atheist Experience, um, and by the way, uh, for those of my viewers who don't know, the gentleman with no hair is Matt Dillahunty, and Matt Dillahunty is the guy that I'll be doing a debate with in April, quick announcement. <laughs> I'll be debating him in April on the topic of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This will happen on a different YouTube channel. I'll put all the links and everything for that uh, as it gets closer, uh, but I, I appreciate your prayers as I'm getting ready for that debate um, on the resurrection, on the week of the resurrection, so it's kind of exciting. Now, um, the caller for this program, The Atheist Experience, he calls in and he says, and he thinks this is a defense of his Christian view when he says that faith is belief without evidence. Notice that the atheist literally guesses what he'll say next and says it with him, that faith is belief without evidence. Okay, so they're in agreement here. Now look at what the skeptic atheist is going to do with that definition to attack this person's faith. And by the way, for those who follow Pine Creek, <laughs> when I say attack, I'm not talking about persecution. <laughs> I'm talking about challenging someone's belief. Anyhow, um, look at what he does with this data, saying that faith is belief without evidence. Aware that, be, that, that faith is believing without proof. And that's why we call it gullibility. Boom. That's, hey, Christian, you lost. You've already lost the battle. As soon as you agree that faith is something that it, you're believing with no evidence, you're not saying something about your faith. You're saying something about the evidence for Christianity. You're saying there is none. So by, by defining your belief, you're, you're falling into a trap of defining um, the support for your belief as being nil, as being zero, as being nothing. So this is why it's a problem. The conclusion that's built into this definition of faith is um, it turns us into fools. Um, if, if I say I have faith in that, I am automatically, um, I'm a fool now. I'm a fool. I'm believing something for no reason whatsoever. And yet it's the most important thing in my life my faith in God, my faith in Christ. What fools we must seem, they win by definition. This is why I've seen uh, skeptics say that the term reasonable faith is an oxymoron. Or that the, 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 the slogan that I put up sometimes on my channel where it says Bible thinker, that that Bible thinker is an oxymoron because they really think this definition of faith represents Christianity. So I wanted to spell that and I want to equip Christians here with, um, with some answers because this is there's, there's good news. This is just sloppy thinking. This is just sloppy thinking about Christianity. Um, what we have to do is take this definition of faith, test it with the Bible. That's what we'll ask. What does the Bible say? Then we'll look at the dictionary and we'll ask, what does the dictionary say about this issue? And then um, you'll see how, uh, how unique and robust the Christian view of faith actually is and how uh, many objections to Christianity can actually just be cleared up just by getting an accurate view of what Christianity actually says. Oftentimes before defending the Christian faith, you just need to properly explain it and many of the attacks disappear. And that's what's going to happen with this one. So um, if you're a Christian who said, hey, I believe faith is belief without evidence, um, I, I encourage you, don't, don't take this like I'm attacking you personally. But what you said was, un, it was inaccurate. It was untrue to the Christian faith. And it was potentially harmful to the people around you, even if you felt good about it. Um, so please hear me out. 
Okay, the biblical case. Here's passages in the scripture that we will go to where we'll establish what faith is in the biblical sense. Uh, let me first just resize this. And I'll give us a little bit more font size. That should be legible. I'll go one, I guess I'll go one bigger. That should be legible for everybody, I think. And I'll bring it in. Okay. All right, so the first passage we're going to be in is 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, 22, which says, uh, Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Okay, so let me paint the quick picture for you. Um, this is an event on a location called Mount Carmel. This is actually a known location uh, in Israel. You can visit there. Everybody does when they do their Israeli tours. Um, so you go to Mount Carmel, and it overlooks the Valley of Megiddo. It's really kind of neat to get to go there. But this location, what's happening is they've gathered the prophets of Baal, and they've gathered Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, the true prophet of the true God. And they're having something of a contest and, and this is so interesting. What they're doing is they're trying to figure out whose God is real, right? Is the, is the, is the God of Elijah, Yahweh, the creator of all things, is he the true God? Or is Baal, this, this Canaanite deity, is he the true God? Um, is he real? And so here's what he does. Here's how he will solve the problem of figuring out who's real. So you'll know where to put your faith. And he says, therefore, give us two bowls and let them Choose one bowl for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. So then the statement is, hey, we're going to make two sacrifices. And then whichever God is able to strike the sacrifice with fire, we won't light the fire. He has to light it. It'll be a confirmation of which God is real. So verse 24 goes on. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Then here's what happens next. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bowl for yourselves and prepare for it first. So they go on and they basically do what he asks. And nothing answers. No fire consumes their offering. And then Elijah shows up and he says, hey, put water down on the, on the offering, buckets of water, so that it makes it even harder to burn it up because it's not hard for God. He's trying to create a situation where there is reasonable proof for belief in God. Okay, so then, um, skip ahead to where this happens. So it came to pass about the time of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day to you that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. So what, what is Elijah's experiment going to perform? It, or prove, it's going to prove that that Yahweh is God and he is God's messenger, his true servant. So this is meant to be evidential proof for the existence of God. Notice this, Elijah doesn't say, hey guys, take it on faith. You know, don't listen to them, take it on faith. No, he says, look, here's the proof. So then verse 38, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water. And the people respond in verse 39, when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. So this is evidential stuff, right? This is not faith, not belief triggered by lack of evidence, but rather faith, trust, belief triggered by evidence. That is a uh, Old Testament example. Let me give you another Old Testament example. This is Deuteronomy 18.22. Um, Deuteronomy 18.22, God... <laughs> Now, now, if the skeptics were right, this is what we would have. We would, we would not have 1822. What we would have instead was something like, when God sends you a prophet, you will believe in the prophet because God 
wants you to believe in him without evidence. And that's what faith is. And, you know, God delights in you having no reasons for what you believe. Like, that's not what it says, though. It says when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has spoke has not spoken. Whatever the prophet said, God didn't say it. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So even a prophet, they go and they go, I'm a prophet. I'm speaking for God. There needs to be some verification that this guy's legit. You don't just believe any guy with, with crazy hair that says he's a prophet. You go, how do I know this guy's really a prophet? I believe God. I will trust God. But how do I know that you're his messenger? So something they say will come to pass. They'll have predictive prophecy. And when it happens, now you know he's a real prophet. If it doesn't happen, now you don't worry about him. You don't fear him. So um, this is why uh, we use false prophecy as a way of showing that, say, Jehovah's Witness, the Watchtower organization is not a real organization from God because they get prophetic statements wrong. And so then we go, okay, we do not fear them. So we have evidence for that. Uh, another example along these same lines, prophecy, which is one of my favorite examples of uh, why we should believe the Bible is prophecy. Um, we still have this today. We have verification through prof prophetic means. Uh, so Isaiah 41, 22 says, present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. What is, what is this? Well, what we've done in Isaiah 41, we entered into a debate. God is in the middle of like a debate with the false idols and the false gods of the people around Israel. And God says, I'll prove myself by doing something they can't do. I'll predict the future. I will bring forth and show us what will happen. I will tell you about what's going to happen. Um, so uh, the, the predictive element of prophecy is seen as proof that God has spoken. And this is now, now here we are 21st century one of my strong evidences I present for the Bible being God's inspired word is prophecy, is showing prophecy. Show that this text was written ahead of time, that the event it predicted really happened, um, and then we have verification that God has spoken. Um, there's a lot more you know, detail there, but that's the, the synopsis of it. Now let's go to some other issues that aren't related to prophecy. So prophecy would be, would be evidence, would be reason to believe. So Acts uh, 18.27 this is an interesting experience. It says, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, or Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. For he, and this is Apollos, by the way, that we're reading about in the book of Acts. So we're going way past the time of, of, of Isaiah, way past the time of Deuteronomy, which was even before Isaiah. Right now we're coming here to, after the death and resurrection of Christ, this great um, member of the early church, Apollos, he, in verse 28, he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus, Jesus is the Christ. So this is related to prophecy, um, but it's more than just prophecy because the messianic elements of the Old Testament go way beyond simple predictive prophecy. It's that plus literary elements, types and foreshadowing and a bunch of other um, just amazing stuff. Check out my series on Jesus in the Old Testament if you would like to get more information on that. It's all online for free. Um, so he vigorously refutes them. He argues with them and he's like, look, I can show it in the text that Jesus is the Christ. Why didn't Apollo show up and say, gosh, you, 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 you Jewish rejectors of Jesus, of the Messiah, you should believe without reason. That is what faith is. Like he never says that because that's not what faith is on a Christian view. Um, then we get Jesus himself weighing in on this topic in John 5:35. It says, um, Speaking of uh, of John the Baptist, uh, I should go to John 30, 
verse 36 here of John 5, but John the Baptist was the burning and shining lamp. You were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. Um, so he's speaking how John the Baptist was a witness of him. Um, I, I, let, me, let me back up for a second, make sure that you're with me on the same page. In John 5, Jesus offers several specific evidences to prove who he is. He starts by saying earlier in the chapter, um, if all I did was claim to be the one, like that's not good enough. Like catch this, right? Let me take you there. If it's verse 31 here, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Jesus says like, it's not enough to sim simply say, hey, I'm the Messiah. Anybody who shows up and says, I'm the Messiah, I ignore them completely unless they have extra evidences to show who they are. So Jesus thought the same thing, even though he was trying to prove he, who he was, he didn't think it was enough on a bare claim. So he speaks of John the Baptist in the next section. And John the Baptist was a forerunner. He spoke of who Messiah was. That doesn't mean as much to modern crowds, but to the ancient crowd, they believed John was a prophet. It meant a lot that John the Baptist said that Christ was the one who was to come. Um, then uh, verse 36, he goes on to other evidences, two more, two more evidences to make three total. He says, I have greater witness than that of John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Here in this passage, Jesus is presenting miracles as evidence for who he is, the works which he does. The greatest of these is, of course, going to be his actual death and resurrection, which we still have evidence for today. Great evidence for. This is why Christians can go around and they can build a case for Christianity based on prophecy, the forerunner before Christ, based upon the evidence for the resurrection of Christ, based upon the eyewitness testimony of, of, the, uh, of the apostles. We can build these actual evidence-based cases for Christianity that's pretty powerful and that simply no other religion can do. I've never seen another religion that has a comparative apologetic to Christianity. I'd be really interested to see them try. Um, I, I looked high and low to find, you know, Muslim support for the Quran being from God and the stuff that you see in there. It's just, it's like a shadowy imitation of what Christianity is. They look at Christian apologetics and they go, we need something like that. That's good stuff. But when you, when you really examine it, it's just really weak like i one muslim video said you know the quran is from god because the quran is the most beautiful book ever written wait that's really the reason like it's the most beautiful book like i, I don't think it is the most beautiful book but can you like show that somehow like would that make it from god if someone writes a more beautiful book somehow is that I, it's just weird this reasoning is strange but prophecy that's that's pretty a pretty big deal miracles what jesus did that's a pretty big deal him raising from the dead if he historically rose from the dead definitely puts the stamp of approval and evidence on the Christian faith. Then he gives another piece of evidence. And in verse 37, um, and the father himself who, who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him, you do not believe. So how is it that the father testifies of Jesus? And how does this testimony, this witness represent evidence for Christ? Well, he goes on to explain in the next verse. He says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you, will, you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. So Jesus is saying, the Old Testament speaking of, of me is evidence of me. My miracles are evidence of me. My resurrection is evidence of me. John the Baptist, especially for that first century audience, is evidence of me. So yeah. You gonna join us, Kitty? There she is. I have to take a, a, a cat moment for you all. So this, this is my cat. This is Mika. She's gotten a lot bigger in the uh, since the last time I showed her up on the stream. 
Thank you, Eddie. All right. So th this is an evidence-based faith. Let me give you more scripture because it seems like there's always more to share. Matthew 9, verses 5 through 7. So in Matthew 9, Jesus is dealing with um, this... Uh, the situation where a paralytic is, I've been talking about this recently a couple times now, but this paralyzed man is brought to Jesus. They tear up the roof and they lower him through the roof to get him to Jesus through the crowd. And he looks at the man and instead of saying, um, you know, get up and walk, he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And they challenge Jesus. I'll, I'll back up. He says to him, to the paralytic here, um, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And immediately people are flipping out because they're like, you can't do this. They say, in fact, that Jesus is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? Th think about this. It, if, if you're speaking truth, the easier thing it be, would be to heal someone than to forgive their sins before God. Um, but, but it's easier to fake forgiving people, oh, you're forgiven, than it is to fake healing this paralyzed man. So Jesus is going to give evidence to prove who he is. He says, but that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. So this, this miracle, whether you believe the miracle or not, like maybe you're, the, maybe you're a total skeptic. You don't think the miracle happened. You think this is somehow legendary development or whatever. Just, just kind of let's set ish, that issue aside for a minute. Let's not argue about that. Let me just say this. Jesus thought it was fine to present evidential proof for who he was and for his authority to forgive your sins. He thought miraculous evidence of me saying, okay, I'll prove it to you. Get up and walk. And he heals a guy. That meant that was meant to be evidence to prove his claim to be able to forgive is real. So this is not faith as in belief without evidence. There were signs, wonders, miracles, gifts. In fact, that's, I'm giving you a list actually from our next scripture. Hebrews 2 verse 3. Hebrews 2 verses 3 and 4. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So the message went out, spoken by the Lord, testified ultimately from, from Christ originally, but also really before that, even from simply the Old Testament teachings. But it was confirmed or evidenced by those who heard him, the eyewitnesses who shared what Christ, so they're handing us down these eyewitness testimony. Um, God bore witness with signs and wonders and miracles. And then the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is another way of saying um, it's a mixture here of personal testimony, but also the, uh, the lives that they lived as a result of the work of the Spirit in their lives. So we're giving, giving a list of evidences or confirmations of the Christian faith. So the Christian faith is not against evidence. Um, to say that faith means evidence or means belief without evidence is to say you're not talking about Christianity Christianity anymore. But so often, what do we hear from skeptics? What do we hear from even well-meaning Christians? Okay, I'm not blaming the skeptics here like you made this up and you're pushing it on us. Sadly, in this situation, many Christians, it's, it's your fault. But it's not your, your fault like you're trying to destroy Christianity. You're just being sloppy, I think. And um, I'm hoping that I can help a little bit. So let me now go to a few passages where people would go, but what about? These are the but what about passages. Um, people are going to are gonna definitely challenge me on this. And they're going to go to a few specific places in the scripture. And the first one I'll go to is Hebrews 
11. Hebrews 11 is the verse that people are going to quote. <laughs> Get serious right here. She's just staring at me. Um, sorry. Usually I feed him before the live stream now, and then they leave me alone a little bit more, and I didn't have time today because technical issues. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so here's the verse, and this is quoted by skeptics to, to say, see the biblical definition of faith, definition of faith, is belief without evidence. So uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, I'll give it another translation as well. Um, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So the, the idea here is they're saying translated faith is belief without evidence. Now there's a great article on uh, Stand to Reason's website, str.org, written by Amy Hall, um, called Hebrews doesn't say what atheists think it says about faith. And I've put a link to that in the video description here. So I'm going to give like a brief overview of why that's not what Hebrews means. But if you want more details, just click that link. You can, you can read the article while you're pretending to listen to me if you want. <laughs> um, or maybe you can multitask. I'm, I, I'm not so good at that. So the main issue here, I'll say the main thing with Hebrews 11 is this. Um, oh, there we go. I don't know if I had that scripture up for you, but there it is now. The main issue is this. Hebrews 11 has nothing to do with the um, the justification for why we believe. In fact, it's not a definition of what faith actually is. It's a definition more of what faith looks like. Let me, let me give you an example. If you were to define what Mike is versus describing what Mike is like, those are very different things. So Hebrews is saying faith is like this. Um, but it's not just giving a dictionary definition of faith. That's certainly not the case. If it is, and you take it to mean belief without evidence, which it also wouldn't mean, um, then it contradicts all those other scriptures. So we have a contradiction issue. But if you were to say, I mean, Mike is a human being. Mike is a Christian. Mike is a husband. Mike is a pastor. Mike is a guy on YouTube. You could say all those things about me. That's kind of like what I am. But it would be different to say, what is it like to have Mike as your youth pastor? Oh, having Mike as your youth pastor is what to learn the Bible verse by verse and have hopefully have challenges to the Christian faith, you know, answers to those challenges built into you through the years of you know, whatever, like that kind of stuff. You could say that's not like you could say Mike having Mike is. So this is like what having faith is like. That's the definition. If I can I hope that helps. Hope I was clear. It's clear as mud. Um, um, so. Hebrews 11 is not about the definition of faith or how we justify our faith. It's about what faith looks like in the life of a believer. How do I justify that? Well, if you read on in Hebrews 11, you get a list of people and it tells you what they did by faith. Like Abel, he offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Uh, Enoch was taken up. Um, we read about like Noah, Moses. Let me give you, for example, Noah. Um, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Now, this is, this is interesting. Noah, what does he do with his faith? What does faith look like with Noah? Well, you can see his faith, right? You don't see the flood yet, but you're watching Noah and you see him building the ark. And through his faith in building the ark, it's like you see the flood coming. That's the idea. He's instructed concerning things yet unseen, which is to say that the term unseen in, um, in uh, verse 1 is not referring to things that lack evidence. It's referring to things that are not yet seen, as in they're not happening now, they're happening in the future. So faith is the conviction of future events. It's not 
the conviction of things that lack evidence. So not seen is not lack of evidence. It's just that it's not happening right now. Um, in verse 8, we read about Abraham and his faith. Let's see. By faith, Abraham, he obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So he didn't know the detail of where he was going. He didn't know what it'd be like. He just trusted God and he went out to that place. So that's what faith looked like in his life. It looked like having confidence about future realities that are not happening just yet. That's what faith often looks like in a person's life. I'm confident about future realities that haven't happened yet. Um, in uh, verse 11, we read about Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So God is going to be trustworthy here. I'm trusting in the person God who has revealed to me that I'll have a baby. So she trusts him, even though it seems like it wouldn't happen under natural circumstances. It wouldn't happen normally. Um, now, to show you that Hebrews 11 is not about why you believe, but it's more about what you believe and how it affects your life. It's not about how you come to that faith. We'll see. Um, uh, in, in verse 7, we read about Noah. Noah, why did he believe? He believed because God spoke to him. Then we read in, uh, you know, in Hebrews 11 about Moses. Moses believed because he had promises he heard about from Abraham and from their descendants. So he had like the word of God handed down to him. He trusted in what God revealed to them. And they testified that it was from the Lord. Then we have um, Sarah. She had an angelic visitation and which proclaimed to her that she was going to have a child. And so if faith is belief without evidence, then these people don't have evidence. I mean, I've heard many skeptics say that they would believe if God would just come down and tell them, hey, I'm real. Like they would, they would believe. Well, that wouldn't be faith without evidence though, would it? It would be faith, but not without reason, not without evidence. I mean, a, a direct appearance of God in your life would be some pretty good evidence, I think. And I think most people would agree with that. Um, I think reasonable people would agree with that. So unseen doesn't mean without evidence. That's the Hebrews 11 passage. Another passage people will go to is Romans 1 and verses 19 and 20. And they'll say that belief in God is something that we have without evidence based upon Romans 1. So it says, For what can be known of God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. The interesting thing, interesting thing about Romans 1 is that while it does say that everyone uh, should know God, like should be aware of God's existence, should be aware of who he is simply you know, by what God has revealed. It doesn't say that you get this through lack of evidence, pure faith with no reason. Instead, it says something so much better. It says that the created world around you is telling you there's a God. So you should believe, right? His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Because it's when you look around you, you're perceiving I mean, I'm not seeing God when I see a tree, when I see the sky, but I'm perceiving that there's a creator of all things. And I, I think one of my favorite arguments for God is common sense. <laughs> it is common sense. And to so many, it's common sense. And um, it takes a lot of uh, programming almost to overcome that common sense and come to a place where you can look around and not give God credit for those things. So that's another video we could deal with that. The point here is that Romans 1 is not saying you believe in God without evidence. It's saying you believe because of the evidence and you should believe because of the evidence. So another verse that would be used against us is actually supporting this view of faith. In John 20, 24, we have the next one where Jesus, someone would say, Mike, you know, what about when Jesus told Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Isn't that belief without evidence? But again, we're getting confused seeing versus 
evidence. Seeing is one kind of evidence, right? How do I know that my car can get me to the mall? Well, I've been there, I've done that, I've driven, I've experienced it and I've watched it happen, right? Um, how do I know that my next paycheck will come in the mail? Well, it, they've come so reliably in the past that I'm trusting, I've reasoned evidence to believe that it's gonna come next. I don't see it, but that doesn't mean I don't have evidence. So in John 20, 24, um, we get the story of Thomas. This is after the death of Christ, his resurrection, and now he's appearing to his disciples to show them that he's alive after death. Um, so in John 20, 24, it says, now Thomas was one of the 12 called the twin. He was not with them when Jesus came. You see, Jesus had already showed up, showed his body to the disciples. They were able to perhaps touch him, eat with him, talk with him. They were able to confirm he had really risen from the dead, you know, giving them that strong faith they were willing to die for. And then Thomas wasn't there. So he hasn't had that experience. He only has their testimony. So we read on. He says, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This is side point here. Um, Jehovah's Witness teaching is that the body Jesus appears with is a different body than the one that died. But Thomas demanded that he saw the mark of the nails, the nails, the ones that were used on the body of Jesus. Those, that's the body he wanted to see. And so Jesus actually does this for Thomas. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So he tells Thomas to trust him, and he gives him the evidence for why. Now he... Now, catch this, Jesus' words. He's like, here's the proof, now believe. That's not faith without evidence, is it? No, that's faith based on evidence. So, Jesus is consistent here. We have an evidential faith as Christians. We really do. Um, then, in verse 28, Thomas said, answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And then now, some would say, well, I want what Thomas had. I want to see Jesus. In fact, I won't believe till I can see Jesus physically. Jesus answered to him, and this is for you. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let me keep us from mistranslating, right? Reading into the text. To mistranslate this text would be to read it, Blessed are those who have no evidence and yet believe. That's not what Jesus said. He said, Blessed are those who haven't seen me yet have believed. What did Thomas have before he saw Christ that would have been good reason to believe? Well, he had the scriptures that Jesus mentioned that spoke of him, speaking of the death, resurrection of the Messiah. He had the testimony of the apostles saying, we saw Christ alive from the dead. Thomas, you know us. You can trust us. We're sincere in our belief. And he did not believe those things. He discounted those things. Now we have the same evidence as Thomas had today. We have those things, right? Up until the moment where he saw Christ visibly, physically. Um, we have the same evidence. We have the apostolic witness. We have the historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ. It's no, it's no coincidence that 2,000 years later, we can present a strong historical evidentiary case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which I will be presenting in that uh, debate with Matt Dillahunty um, in April, that we can do that. We can say, look, here's reason to believe. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. Blessed are you who have lots of evidence, but you just haven't seen it with your own eyes. The one thing you want to see, perhaps, but you have sufficient you know, evidence to provoke belief and faith in Christ. That's the idea. So what was Thomas rebuked for? Uh, was it... Was it for not having faith with no evidence? No, he was rebuked for ignoring the evidence he had 
and not responding to it. And that would be the same rebuke we would get today. In fact, as I encounter a lot of skeptics and those who disbelieve Christianity, I usually find that their reasons, in my opinion, their reasons for dis disregarding Christianity are not good. They're not sufficient reasons. The reasons to support Christianity are, are strong. The reasons to go against it seem so weak. The evidence is all on one side and all that's on the other side so often is misunderstanding, misrepresentation, scoffing, sarcasm, and, um, and sometimes bad scholarship. <laughs> um, but we as Christians can't fall into this mistake where we misrepresent Christianity ourselves by saying things like, Faith is belief without evidence. Okay, so let's go into the definition of faith. Um, um, what do we mean by faith? And what is the actual like dictionary definition of faith? Well, let's let's look at it here. If you go onto Google and you just type, you know, define faith, this is what you're going to find. It says uh, two, two different definitions. It says complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And then the second definition is strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Now, the way words work is that any usage of these terms can, can, can have either of these uses, right? So I could say I have faith in God. I could mean definition one, complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I mean, God is someone or something, right? I could refer to God by saying that. I could use term two. I have faith in God, meaning I have strong belief in him based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Now I'll take one, um, uh, one objection perhaps to the way it's defined in the second definition is um, that people may have. They would say that spiritual apprehension means lack of evidence, but spiritual apprehension, you guys, that's not lack of evidence because the very statement spiritual apprehension implies that there is a spiritual realm and you are apprehending something through that realm. That is not lack of evidence. That's a different kind of evidence than a scientific rigorous experiment. It's a different kind of evidence than a historical verification. It's spiritual apprehension. This is like your personal testimony. You know, like I've experienced God, so I know he's real. Um, I don't, wouldn't use the term spiritual apprehension. And I would not um, say it's fair to limit the Christian definition of faith to that second one. Because even in the Bible, we have non-spiritual apprehension reasons for believing in Jesus, believing in God, for trusting in the Bible, for confirming prophecy, things like that. These are evidence-based. So the first definition is the one that fits the Christianity that I know. The first definition is the one that actually fits what we read about in the Bible. Um, here's another definition. If you go to Webster um, and you look up their definition of faith, they say that faith is allegiance to a person, loyalty. Um, it can also be, um, let me make this a little bigger so I can read it, fidelity to one's promises, sincerity of intentions. Okay, that's one category of definitions. Another is belief and trust in and loyalty to God. Belief in the traditions, traditional doctrines of a religion. I have both of those. Absolutely. Third one here for 2B. Um, firm belief in something for which there is no proof. I definitely don't have that. And that's countermanding what we've read in the scriptures. That definition, it does exist. People use the word faith that way. But when Christians use it, we should know that biblically we're using other definitions of the word faith, like A1 and A2, belief and trust and loyalty to God, belief in the traditional doctrines of a religion. That's the way we're using the term. Um, number three, finally, is just something that's believed with especially strong conviction. And so you could, you could give that definition as well. But what skeptics often want to do is they want to take, of all the definitions of faith, they want to grab the one that, that's not about faith, but is about the evidence for faith. They want to pull that out 
and staple that to Christianity and say, Christians, that's your definition. You have faith without reason. Not according to the Bible, not according to historical Christianity. So this leads me to my next question. Why do so many Christians accept this bad definition of faith? Because this is what happens. I'll say all this and they'll say, Mike, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not biblical. Maybe there's maybe the dictionary doesn't doesn't limit faith to that definition and it leaves open your definition as being a legitimate use of faith. But you know, a lot of Christians would agree. They would say, yeah, faith is belief without evidence. Why do they say this, Mike? Why do so many Christians fall into the same category? I would say the answer is this, sloppy thinking, sloppy thinking. And let me give you an illustration to explain why I think this happens as I drink some water. Um, okay, so in school one time, I think it was in school we did this. It was some some gathering we had where we had everybody there in the group, maybe the class, they had to write out instructions on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Maybe you've done this experiment. And so they'd write out the instructions and then you hand them into the teacher and the teacher would read your instructions and follow them to the T, like to the letter, follow the instructions. So if the instructions read, put peanut butter on the bread, put jam on the bread, eat your sandwich. They would take peanut butter and they would have a whole loaf of bread still in the bag and they would just slap peanut butter on top of the loaf on top of the bag. Then they would take jam and they would slap the jam right on top of the loaf, right on top of the bag, and then they would try to eat it because they're trying to show you that your, de your description of how to make the sandwich was not careful and clear enough. So you had to start by saying, you know, using the normal method, open the bag and take out two slices of bread, not one of the ends, you know, take one slice of bread and on one side, gently spread some peanut butter. Oh, but what you didn't tell him to open the jar of peanut butter. So what we're getting here is this, this desire for specificity is not normal. When Christians say, um, I believe faith, faith is belief without evidence. That's, it's not what they mean, right? What they mean is something like, I believe God, and even though I haven't seen the fulfillment of all his promises, I trust him that he will do what he says. Like that's maybe what they mean, but what they say, if you analyze it, if you follow the instructions of that statement verbatim, then it leads to this destruction of what Christianity and what faith really is. So I think it's just sloppy thinking. They're not dumb. They're just assuming that certain people, like certain things they say are not going to be analyzed that carefully. They're not analyzing it that carefully. It's, it's, um... It's just similar to them saying, hey, in spite of circumstances that test my faith, I still trust God. Um, without some evidences, I have other reasons and I will hold to those reasons. Even though I don't have every single an question answered, I trust God. You know, that might be what they mean. But what they're doing is they're offering maybe a sloppy definition of faith. But what the skeptic does with this is they do something very different. See, the Christian, they say, here's my sloppy definition. But the skeptic is like the teacher getting the peanut butter and slapping it on the thing. And like, I'm going to take that as literally as possible to show you it's ludicrous. Um, so when the skeptic comes against the Christian faith using that definition, they're often doing it from a different perspective. And so I, we got to stop saying it as Christians and skeptics should know you're just taking advantage of sloppy Christians in order to uh, make them look like fools, but it's never what they meant. At least that's what I hope. Um, so one of the goals of this online ministry of what I do here um, with my live streams and with my, with my YouTube and all that kind of stuff is to help Christians not be sloppy in their thinking about Christianity, to at least do my best to do my part um, in explaining the scripture carefully, verse by verse, in answering hard questions that skeptics ask, 
Um, and I'm not the only one doing this. There are so many organizations out there. If you've been a sloppy Christian and you want to come out of it, like check out my video content, let it help you, let it cause, cause you to grow and go deeper into being a biblical Christian. And if you're a skeptic that you, you can never stomach the sloppiness of the Christians around you, like I encourage you, here's me and some other resources I'm going to share with you now that you can look to. Um, Stand to Reason is a fantastic ministry. Um, Greg Kokel, his his podcast especially, I love his podcast. Um, answering tough questions with careful, thoughtful Christianity. We have uh, Clear Thinking Christianity, another podcast by a guy named Tim Barnett, a friend of mine. Um, what does he call it? Clear Thinking Christianity? I mean, that would be an oxymoron if this definition of faith were true that people foist upon us. Stand to Reason would be something you're not allowed to do as a Christian. Um, William Lane Craig's ministry is called Reasonable Faith reasonable, reasonable faith. Think about the terms we, we're using to describe our ministries. Um, wonderful ministry, William Lane Craig out there. We're presenting the world, our Christianity, like it's the bad description of how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so then they go, oh, this is terrible. You guys are fools. The truth is you just didn't realize you were under such criticism as Christians. Well, guess what you are. And so we need to have a careful, robust view of Christianity. Ratio Christie is another ministry. Uh, think Thinking Biblically, um, I think that's the name of his, his podcast, Sean McDowell, Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. Uh, he, the, not only the book, but his, his, his podcast is really interesting, good stuff. The list just goes on and on. You've got all these ministries who are presenting this robust view of the Christian faith because there is a robust view of the Christian faith, because there is a whole group of evidences that lead us to the Christian faith, both in personal experience, which is valid. I mean, anyone who, that invalidates personal experience entirely is rather silly, in my opinion, because they live based on their personal experiences. I just don't find my personal experiences as good ways of convincing other people, but it certainly convinces me. Um, but not only that, but we have, we have the evidence from scripture, from philosophy, from history, from science, from um, uh, just, just all sorts of lines of argument that point towards Christianity. There's nothing like it in other religions. I would, I'll go on record saying there's nothing like this in other religions as I've looked for it and haven't been able to find it. Okay, so what we're going to do right now is we're going to go to your guys' questions. And um, AJ's going to send those over to me. And I'm going to do my best. Um, I'm assuming AJ's in the chat. Someone sent me a message saying they don't think you're there. I hope you're there, AJ. If not, um, then I'll just take the live, I'll just do live chat. But um, what we're doing... Uh, what I did recently that I want to let you guys know about, there's a link in the description for it. So as you kind of are signing off this video, whenever you do, what um, uh, what I did just recently was an interview with SJ Thomason on her channel. And it was a great time. And I think a really valuable video. She asked me a host of like challenging questions, sort of tough questions of Christianity for the first hour. And for the second hour, it's a two hour video. I interacted with uh, skeptics in the Q&A um, in the live chat. And so it was just a bunch of questions. Um, Okay, so AJ, AJ says he fell asleep and he just joined the live chat. So <laughs> you got you got roasted. Okay, um, yeah. So I recommend you guys check out SJ's video. It's in the link below uh, in the video. But I right now I'm gonna take your guys' questions. If AJ, if you start sending me ones, I'll respond to those. Um, but otherwise, type right now in the live chat. Write the word question in all caps and then. I'll read that and I'll answer as many as I can. Please don't hold it against me if I can't get to them. I will probably only give you one answer per person though, rather than the same person answering, asking a bunch of questions. Um, okay, so Cam94 says, 
how do we explain to non-believers that the Holy Ghost being with us is a large reason we have faith? Um, I think that, um, okay, I don't know how someone would argue against that view that, okay, I prayed and God changed my life, entered into, into my life, and I have a real relationship with God now. I don't see how he would talk you out of believing for that reason. See, that's, that's one way you can know Christianity is true, but, but knowing Christianity is true is different than showing Christianity true. See, I can know it based on my experience, but he doesn't have your experience. He only has you telling him about your experience. So it's good to point to other evidences as well for convincing others. Um, so I would say, yeah, I've, I give it, that's good evidence for you, Cam 94, but it's difficult to show your Christian faith true with that evidence. That's why God's given us lots of reasons. And I, th I think we should use all of them. And I'm always learning more reasons. Um, okay. All right. Uh, AJ's back on board. He says, uh, uh, the, the Joe Chintons say, if Satan is a created being, can he control or influence thoughts or put things in your head if he's not omnipotent? Thanks so much. I really need this. Um, here's a phrase from scripture that may answer your question. It's, it's when Christ was about to be betrayed by Judas and it, and it says Satan had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. So if that's the case, Satan put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Then there was some sort of access to the thought life of Judas that he had. This doesn't mean that Satan's necessarily reading our minds. It means that there was at least a, um, I'll put it this way. When, when it's audio, when you're hearing me right now, you have, you have access to ideas I'm giving you. I'm giving you ideas. I'm giving you thoughts, so to speak, not literally, but, but through the, through the medium of sound and electricity. Um, it seems that Satan has the ability to do this to us through some other spiritual medium, some medium that's not through sound. He can send us a thought or an idea or something like that. He seemed to have at least done that with Judas. Does that mean that he can also read our minds and read our thoughts? I don't think it answers that question for us. And, um, yeah, and I don't know. But, but I also don't have, I don't fear him in that sense either. I, I think I need to be aware that he's going to use my own sinful tendencies against me and that sort of thing. But um, I hope that helps you a little bit. Jacob Inglet says, uh, Mike, please explain the connection between belief and obedience in John 3.36 and James 2.14-26. Shouldn't we be looking to the text to define definitions like faith and belief? Um, well, your, your last question, I would say, yeah, we... We, we do look to the text um, to define things like faith and belief. Um, when we've got, uh, for example, um, sorry, I'm going to pull up that scripture while I'm doing this here. Where is it? There we go. Okay. We have, for example, the um, uh, the word faith. What we can do is you, you use a word in any time studying language, you use a word in its sentences. So look at the word faith in this sentence. How is it used? How is it not used? You don't just look at the etymology or the root meaning of the word. You look at its usage in context. That's how you find the meaning of a word. Um, but uh, your question is explain the connection between belief and obedience in John three thirty six. So sometimes these questions perhaps assume I have more scripture memorized than I do. So whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Um, if I would say the relation between belief and obe obedience is that belief leads to obedience. A lack of obedience implies a lack of faith, a lack of belief. People generally, what they do shows you what they believe. 
as far as the James question, I will reference you to another video. It's James 2.14, and that's about faith, uh, not being without works. Um, so Jacob, what I've, what I've got is actually have a video on that exact scripture where I spend like, you know, an hour unpacking the topic very carefully. And I deal with the Catholic view versus the Protestant or, or I think biblical view of this issue. And it's, it's so look up like the debate on James. I would Google that and it should come up. Uh, look for my video on that topic. Um, Brian Stevens has a question. Have you seen the replication of the discredited Dr. Regnerus study done by Dr. Rosenfeld on 2000, in 2015? which found the lurking variable of family instability. So um, off the top of my head, Brian, I don't know how to answer that question right now. There's uh, This stream's not gonna be about the, the Dr. Regnerus study. And I know there's a group, literally three or four atheist channels that all made videos in the last week on this particular topic. Um, I, uh, I haven't made time to go back. Th I, three years ago, I studied and taught on this issue, three years ago. So, some of the content that they've shared, I thought, oh, I'm interested in that. A lot of the content they share was just, to be honest, if I'm, I think this is asking me to respond to those atheist videos. So, um, was sloppy to say the least. It's, I would say this, they had such little respect for me or what I was saying that they didn't want to consider deeply what I had to say. They just wanted to call me names and they did. And they called me a lot of bad names and said a lot of cruel things about me, but they didn't seriously consider what I was saying. And they even said so in their videos. I don't, I don't care about this. He probably got this statistic from that. They, nobody looked them up. My notes are available on my website if you are interested in that. Next question. Brian Stevens question. Have you seen the replication? Oh, next question. Eric Sigardia. Uh, Mike, how do you know that you have the proper interpretation of scripture? I mean, you read it in context. Like, how do I know I have the proper interpretation of your question, right? Well, I read it. I thought about the words and what they meant and had a consistent view of those things. Like, that's how. Like, it. it's not, it's not about arrogance or egotism. It's not like w when I say I think the scripture means this, it's because of my authority. I'm observing. I'm using hermeneutics. I'm using, you know, basically just reading things in context. That's the, that's the key thing here. Um, and I'm open to changing my interpretation of scripture. I often try to get multiple scriptures that all agree as I did today. I have lots of scriptures across various passages that all are in consistent agreement on a topic. And that really strengthens my confidence that my interpretation is correct. Uh, Martin Gradwell says, Mike, would you, um, would you agree that it's important to properly distinguish between evidence and proof? And these are often erroneously used interchangeably. Um, I come at this oftentimes more from like the way normal people talk. And I think normal people use the term evidence and proof interchangeably. And sometimes suddenly people will be like, nope, now they have to have special terminological def definitions where evidence and proof are um, so different that they can't be used interchangeably. But when I say, hey, can you prove it? I usually mean, can you give me good reasons to believe that? I don't mean... Can you prove it to 100% level certainty of logical certainty where it would be impossible for it to logically be wrong? Like that kind of stuff seems like a game playing to me. So, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I, I don't think I would agree with that, Martin. Um, but I'm open to changing my mind on that. Maybe I just am uninformed. Um, Bradley Wilcox says, question, how can anyone see the universe and not see evidence? I found God by science and history. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have a friend who, uh, my friend Travis, who is a good friend of mine from 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 high school. Um, he was uh, into this like Nez Pierce, Native American beliefs and that sort of thing. And I'd share with him and invite him to church and things like that. But he never had um, come to Christ. And he had 
experienced some pretty weird things. They, you know, did peyote and looked in the fire and he saw visions and things like that, um, that kind of stuff, those kinds of experiences. But one day he, he joined the Navy and one day he's out there on deck on this, on this frigate, uh, this ship, and he's on watch and he's sitting there in the middle of the ocean and he's just looking up at the sky and he says, that's when he gave his life to God. He looked up at the sky and he just, he just knew it. He just knew that God was true that Christianity was true and he gave his life to Christ and he's been following Christ ever since. It's, that was, um, gosh, that was probably 19 years ago, maybe more, um, probably more. And he's been following Christ ever since. And so, I mean, here's, here's a situation where creation declared to him, there was an affirmation in his own awareness about who God was. And, uh, why doesn't everyone have that? Well, the scripture says that we sometimes, sometimes the cases we're making choices, we respond to reality, we choose to accept or reject that, and um, uh, and we live with those decisions. So Kate says, "Question: We lean on the Bible for evidence. How do we address when non-believe when a non-believer says, I 'I don't believe the Bible is the Word of God'?" Thanks, Kate. Um, well, thank you for the question, Kate. Um, I would say, um, when I say I present the Bible as evidence, I I'm not meaning that I'm presenting it um, where the person has to affirm that it is God's Word before they can look at it. So an example is like prophecy. Um, if I can show that the text of, you know, Isaiah 53 was written before Christ came, that's a historical matter, right? This was written before Jesus came. And I can show that. We actually have copies from the Dead Sea Scrolls that go back to before the time of Christ. We, we know for sure it was written ahead of time. And I can show that it intricately relates to what Jesus did when he showed up on earth, which I, I can actually show kind of fairly easily, I think. Uh, if you just read Isaiah 53, people are like, yeah, that's about Jesus. Like, <laughs> it seems to be clearly about him. And if you study it carefully, it's even more obvious. Um, so I've shown that it was written before and that it was really about Jesus. And then I show that historically, I can trust that Jesus did at least some of the things we read about in the scripture, his, that he died, that that they believed he rose again, um, that he was under, you know, crucified under Pontius Pilate. And there's certain things that you can like sort of get consensus on on those views. So what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm using the Bible, but I'm not using the Bible to say you have to, before you can read this and think about it, you have to accept it's God's word. Rather, I'm saying, let's look at it and see if it passes the prophecy test. I think that that's a very different kind of way of using the Bible. So um, I hope that helps. Um, I, uh, I'm sure I missed some other questions um, that were in there. Let me just look and see. Um, Sean A. asks me who my favorite atheist is. <laughs> my favorite atheist. I don't I don't know how to answer that question. I'm not sure that I have a favorite atheist. I mean, I don't despise him at all. That's for sure. No, I care very much. Um, but I don't know how to yeah, have a favorite atheist. Sorry. This would be good for a, a, to get a snippet out of me, but I, I wouldn't even know how to answer the question. Um, um, anyway, okay, there's a lot more questions. I don't think I'll have time to answer them today, but thank you guys so much for joining me. I hope that this helps. This issue is, you, you've got to know as Christians how to clarify this topic, right? Um, faith is simply trusting in God. The word faith has nothing to do with why you believe. You may have good reasons, you may have bad reasons, you may have no reasons, or you might have every reason in the world. Faith is just trust. That's what we mean as Christians when I say, I trust God, I have faith. The reasons for my faith, that's a separate matter. That's a separate discussion. And, um, and I, I think that we need to treat those things as different things. Um, whereas the, the skeptic wants to assume sometimes that when you say I have faith, 
you already have lost the battle. You have no evidence. And then they go at us for that. So if you are still interested in more, if you're disappointed that the stream's ending after only an hour, then you can watch the two-hour video I did with S.J. Thomason the other day. If you haven't seen it, it's in the video description uh, down below. There's a link. So Lord bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. And we'll see you um, next week.